John chapter 4 is our text this morning. I want to pick up there in verse 27 and read just a bit more than we read in the public reading. John chapter 4 and verse 27. And upon this came his disciples, marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? It certainly is. Hallelujah, we have found him, the Messiah. Our gracious Heavenly Father, unfold to us the unsearchable riches of your grace, the mysteries of godliness that have unfolded for us in the incarnation of our Savior. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to learn your ways and, and Lord, also how to witness to those around us. Our great commission is go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. May we be very conscious about those we come in contact with. And Lord, we just right now pause and ask you to plan our day and our affairs so that we're soul conscious, realizing that every person that we meet along our way is headed for an eternal hell or heaven, and surely we must witness that there is a Savior who knows all about us and yet loves us and can save us from our sin. So I pray you'd bless your word in so many ways today. Ultimately, Lord, we pray for the salvation of the lost and ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Pharisees were doing everything in their power to cause problems between the followers of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan loves contention. Would you please mark that down? And in your own life, when confusion and contention comes in, remember that Satan is the author of it. He loves contention. He loves competition, especially within the work of God. And we see it throughout the scriptures. We see it in our own lives, and we have to fight against it and do everything we can to put it down. Believers must be very careful not to be a part of these tactics of Satan and of our own flesh because the Proverbs teach, only by pride cometh contention. We saw last week where the Pharisees said, we realize that, to John, don't you realize that the crowds are leaving you and they're, they're following Jesus Christ? And John said, you know, that's the way it should be. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew who he was, why he was here, that Christ was all in all, and he rejoiced in that, and so should we. Our Lord had some divine and has some divine appointments to keep in Galilee, and so he leaves Judea. In verse 4, I want you to take note of the very words the Holy Spirit uses. He must, he must, needs, it is necessary to go through Samaria. Well, how important this is for us to note because, and I say this facetiously, no respecting Jewish man would dare go through Samaria. And yet, the Holy Spirit records for us, he must, needs go through Samaria. Why must he go through Samaria? He was on his father's schedule doing the Father's will, and though they didn't even know it themselves, there were some people waiting on him in unlikely places to hear the message of salvation. 
May I remind each of us that the Lord is building his church, the bride of Christ. And upon your way tomorrow, today and every day, there are those along the way who need to hear the message of salvation. Let me just say here that as you plan your day every day, would you, would you keep in mind as the psalmist declares, my times are in his hands. We are not in control of anything except this body and this will that we can certainly and daily should offer before the Lord as a living sacrifice. My times are in his hands. Oh, what a truth. And when we let that permeate our thinking and our planning, then we realize that the Lord is in control. My moments, my days, let the Lord intervene and guide your day however he sees fit. Now, let me, let me say here that it's good and right. We're to redeem the time. It is our most precious commodity. We are to plan and be wise and circumspect. Teach us to number our days. Why? So that we may apply our hearts to wisdom or living them out wisely. You have one span of time, one lifetime. This is the only life you'll ever have. The only time you'll have to say no to self and yes to the Lord and to glorify Him. In heaven, you will not have to sacrifice to show Him how much you love Him. The flesh will be put at bay. You'll be glorified. And if, it, if, for lack of better words, it will be easy to serve and praise the Lord, but only in this life as we deny ourselves, as we say no, as we submit to His will and to His divine plan, can we truly know the fullness and the blessing of serving the Lord as He would see fit. Those interruptions and distractions may just be divine appointments from the headquarters in heaven. Don't you want it that way? Don't you want the Lord to place you exactly where he wants you to be? And you can say as the Abraham servant when he went to find the bride for Isaac, I being in the way, the Lord led me. And so we should plan, we should be where we should be, be at our post of duty, and yet realize when the Lord, and if he does, interrupt with things that we hadn't planned on and maybe are really upset about, you know, that we could say, now, Lord, are you showing me something here? Is there someone I should speak to? Is there something you're doing because of these divine interruptions that, that uh, I need to take note of? There were three different routes to go to Galilee. The Bible tells us that Jesus had to go to Galilee, was going to Galilee. He was distancing himself from the contention there for a while. He had ministry, but the Holy Spirit said he must needs go through Samaria. He could have gone along the coast, as most Jews would have done, gone all the way around to, so they didn't have to go through this area, and, or across the Jordan. You could have crossed the Jordan right into Galilee and, and taken up through Perea or straight through Samaria. And our Lord took the straightest, most direct path. That's good common sense, isn't it? Good common sense to take the most direct route to something. And uh, that's, we just see prudence there. But the strict Jews avoided the Samaritans at all costs, going back over 700 years prior to this time. Uh, the Assyrians, when they conquered uh, the northern tribes, they brought in other people. They populated this specific area with other people. That was the the way the Assyrians would, when they conquered an area, they would take the best and the brightest, as they did with Daniel and the, the Hebrew children, and they would leave behind the infirm or the elderly or those who could not 
by their own strength or ingenuity rise up in opposition. Then they would bring other people like that, uh, or foreigners, if you will, other races, into the area so as to make sure that there would be no uprising. They would leave some of the people there, repopulate the area with other people, and as a result of that, you had this mixed race of Jews and Gentiles, which were called uh, the Samaritans because they were in this area of Samaria. This goes back to as a result of the Assyrian captivity of, of the ten northern tribes in 727 B.C. Now, I give you that historical information because you might ask the question, why wouldn't a Jew go through Samaria? What was the big deal? Well, we could ask ourselves about that in the problems between races at any time. We live in an area uh, in our own city, in our own south here, there were racial tensions. In fact, the whole nation lives. We think that these things go away, but the whole nation, yea, the whole world lives in the light of racial tension. So this is nothing foreign or way off, but it was specific to the Jews because of the Samaritans. The Jews refused to have anything to do with them because... They, for one thing, they could not prove their genealogy. They could not trace their origins from one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the Samaritans settled in an area which came to be referred to as Samaria. And they built their own temple. The, the Jews, when the temple was destroyed, these people from Samaria offered to help build the, the temple. They would have nothing to do. They said, no, we don't need your help. Thank you very much. Sounds like things we hear today, don't, doesn't it? So the, the Samaritans built their own uh, temple on Mount Jerusalem and establishing their own unique, and this is where it really became a point of contention, and we can understand this with the Jews, their own hybrid worship, a mixture of paganism and Judaism, which, let me just tell you, is not far off from what we see today, even among pro- uh, professing believers. Our Lord says much about worship here, true worship in spirit and in truth, And these uh, Samaritans had a hybrid. It was not a pure form of Old Testament worship. They only accepted the first five books of the Bible and some of the other prophetic books. They absolutely rejected the historical books as not being a part of the Bible. And any time you reject part of the Bible, you're going to have doctrinal problems. And the Samaritans had them. They had a strange, ungodly mixture of worship. And uh, the, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 17 verse 32 they feared the lord and that phrase i want you to know that though we usually take it as being genuine and sincere it is used in the sense that they acknowledged the one true god they took part of his word and so we're using that phrase fear the lord in a loose way they did not mean from the heart and they made into themselves at the same time of the lowest of them priests of the high places they took some of the from the lowest among them the basest people and made them priests which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations who carried them away. And so these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images, both their children, their children's children, as did their fathers, as they do into this very day. And so you can see that was a hotbed of dissension between the Orthodox Jews at Jerusalem and the Samaritans. John 8:48 when the Jews wanted to discredit our Lord and to defame him this is what they said then answered the Jews and said unto him say we not well that you are a samaritan and a devil it was one of the worst words they could use to discredit the Lord you're just a samaritan and a devil well notice the emphasis 
as to how our Lord lived out his daily life in verse 4. He must needs go through Samaria. John chapter 10, verse 16, he says this, and, and we see why he must go through Samaria. He knew there were some of his sheep there. And he says in verse 16 of John chapter 10, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. When we read the great record in the Revelation that there will be those in heaven out of every tribe, every nation, every people on earth. Our Lord said that I have some sheep in Samaria, a thought that had never crossed the mind of his disciples or his hearers, and like, almost like when Jonah was called to go preach to Nineveh. He had no desire or had a thought that the Ninevites could be saved. Sometimes we allow circumstances, racial tensions, biases, all kinds of things that may have a historical context and may have all kinds of things that we could add to, but the bottom line is we are, as God's people, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Here we see the imperative, the necessity of being in step with God. And let, me, let me just pause and say here, I'm, I'm the pastor here, let me just pause and say here, let us as God's people not allow ourselves to be caught up in racial hostility. You know, the, the politics can use all that and cause eternal division in our nation, but that is of the devil. Uh, only by pride cometh contention. And we're all sinners by the grace of God. We all are saved by the glorious grace of God. And may we, as a body of believers, ever uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ which includes people from every race and tribe. And let me tell you, none of us would be saved apart from the grace of God. Why would we glory in our racial background as if that had something to do with it? That's exactly what the Jews did. When Jesus presented himself as the Messiah, they said, we're of Abraham's seed as if their race alone would get them into heaven. I will tell you today on the authority of the word of God, no man will get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. And every person, no matter what their race is, needs to hear that and know that. If they fall out with us, let them fall out with us over the gospel, not our racial position or our pride. Please, let us slay that on the altar, and may Jesus Christ be praised. We see the imperative, the necessity of being in step with God's will, daily studying and guiding and asking Him to direct us. This is the, the essence of of being directed by the Spirit. We talk, Lord, lead us by your Spirit. What does that mean? Matthew 6, 33 should be our, our theme. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, kingdom's business. God has business. Do you know that? Occupy till I come. We have very specific job descriptions as, in, as God's people left here to do. We're to be about kingdom business. And he's left us here not to entertain ourselves and to strive over endless foolish questions and genealogies and all those things. We are to study the scriptures and preach and tell forth the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these other things will be added unto you. If we preach the gospel... All walls of hatred and division and strife would be broken down. We're not, we're not foolish to think that, that 
because we're human beings that we can ever live in a perfect society. Folks, that's when King Jesus comes to rule and reign. And I guarantee you it won't be based on race or where you're from. or that. It'll be based on the, the Son of God and His Word. We know as humans that we all have proclivities. We all, we all were raised in a certain way. If you were born in my house, it was sacred to eat cornbread and turnip grains. But I know that not everybody has that same taste. I'm not going to... Well, I might judge you. No, I'm not. I'm just joking. I can't fathom why anybody wouldn't like those or, or syrup and biscuits. I just can't imagine why people don't, don't eat logically and good food like that. We were all raised in a certain place. God placed us there, a certain area, a certain country. We had nothing to do to choose our race or our parentage. We were, we had, our parents did things a certain way. You heard about the, the, the woman who... Um, always cut the ham at a certain place, and, and finally the, the mother did that, the daughter did that, and the granddaughter was having them all over for, for Christmas dinner. And finally somebody said, Mother, why do you cut the end of the ham off like that? And she turned and said to my, well, my mother, why, did you, why do we cut the ham off like that? And she turned to the grandmother and said, why do we cut the ham off like that? She said, oh, I had a, that's the only size pot I had to cook it in. It had to be <laughs> that size. A lot of you women cook because your mother did it that way. You set the table a certain way. You have something. Those things are cultural. Those things come with who we are. And those things are are neutral, aren't they? In and of themselves. But these things that we're talking about are eternal. And aren't you glad that the, the body of Christ is a glorious hybrid of people? I'm glad it included a little 15 year old boy from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. He was raised in religion, but didn't know that he needed a Savior. I'm glad that the gospel transcends all of those things. How fortunate we are to have it here. And that ought to be the first and foremost thing in all of our hearts and minds. I praise the Lord that we have a church where all are welcome and should be welcome. And that, 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 that's the way heaven is going to be. And I praise the Lord for it, and I desire it to to look like heaven here on earth in our assembly here today. You know, none of that was what I'd planned to say. Not one word of that. But I'm glad the Holy Spirit can intervene at any time and set us straight, don't you? How do we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? We do this by, first of all, obeying His word. That's simple. I can do that. I can understand that. What saith the Lord? Okay, that's what we do. Living out our callings. God has called me to be a, a man, a husband, a father, a grandfather, a pastor. And so his daily will for my life falls within those callings that he's given to me. And as I fulfill those callings, I'll be doing the will of God. And then when we fulfill our duties, our specific jobs where he's placed us, our work, our obligations as a, a citizen, as, a, as a, a worker, we'll be doing the Lord's will. And then being sensitive to the Spirit's leading. This is where our, our Lord is the picture of us here. He must needs go through Samaria. Interruptions often come in the form of faces, don't they? Their people are behind those interruptions. Uh, we, we have interruptions, circumstances, the people we meet, but all these things we can take into account to do the will of the Lord for us. And let us be sensitive to the Lord's leading and guiding. I want to live in such a way that I uh, don't hear the Lord's voice or see His leading in my daily life. 
our Lord had a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman. One of the elect was in Samaria. Now, according to the Jews, she was in the wrong place. She ought not to have been there. That's where she was from. That's where she lived. Of course, our Lord must, needs, go through Samaria. One who would come to saving faith. And the transformation of this one woman would influence an entire village. That's often the way. One person in a family comes to know the Lord. And the whole direction of that family is changed for generations. Oh, the amazing, marvelous, glorious power of the gospel. One of these little children over in children's church today, transformed by the gospel, can change a whole family. I was talking to a preacher's wife just recently at her mother's funeral. She said, I remember the day my mother opened the newspaper and saw an ad in the paper for Glen Iris Baptist School. And she said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you and your brother in Glen Iris Baptist School. And she did. And she said, that, that one, and then she began riding the bus. They rode the bus to church. Absolutely changed her life. And now she has two daughters and a son, all in the ministry. Married to a pastor. And that whole family has been changed for, for the next generation. Now she's a grandmother with children raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Divine appointments. Our Lord in chapter 3 speaks privately with a highly respected Jewish member of the Sanhedrin who was lost as a goose and needed to hear the gospel as well. Now someone may say, well, now he's a good pick. I mean, he's influential. He was noted, or some repeated to be, uh, that, that Nicodemus was one of the richest men in all of Jerusalem. We don't know that, but most uh, church growth uh, plans would say, go after those kind of people. That'll, that'll do something. We'll have money to build a new addition to the temple or something. Go after the Nicodemuses of the world. Well, that's true. They need to hear the gospel. But there's a woman in Samaria. With failed marriage after failed marriage, who needs to hear the gospel as well? Do you see our Lord taking the time to initiate? Our problem is that we don't even try to initiate conversations with other people about the gospel. A lowly, despised, Samaritan woman. I want us to notice, first of all, that this woman, this dear lady, was a chosen sinner. In that land of false religion, she was a victim of of being taught the wrong way. She had not been taught the truth. She had a, a hybrid, messed up religious background that did no service to her in pointing her to heaven or the one true God. She was a chosen woman. We've seen our Lord's determination to go through Samaria and to be at the well at a certain time to speak with her about her soul. She had no thought of salvation that day. The lost never do. You see there in verse 10 that she said, uh, If thou knewest the gift of God, the Lord said, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me drink, thou wouldst have asked of him. The lost aren't worried about their lostness. They don't even know they are lost. They have to be jarred with the teaching of the gospel. You are lost and need a Savior. You will die eternally in a Christless a devil's hell if you do not repent and believe the gospel. Now, granted, that's weighty information to tell someone who doesn't care and doesn't want to hear. 
but it's the message they need to hear. If your doctor sits down across from you and say, now, Mr. Lamb, I want you to know you have a, a horrible situation that we can't do anything about. Do you think I want to hear that? Does anybody want to hear bad news or the man to come out? You just went to get your oil changed in your car, and he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Lamb, you need an engine in this car. Don't tell me that. That's not what I want to hear. Sir, uh, your next-door neighbor says, I know you, you, you lit a fire in your fireplace, but your roof is on fire. You might need to check that out. Don't, don't give me that horrible information. Nobody wants to know that they're lost. But apart from Christ, they are. That's the truth. I wonder that God's people, if they really believe that or not, that there's a Christless, eternal hell yawning out there and every day people fall off into it. On the broad way, leading to destruction, clawing their way toward eternity. Someone may need, better step in front and flag them down and tell them the, the bridge is out. That where they're going is to destruction. How heartless would it be if I knew that the viaduct had fallen in over here on, on 65 and I got there first and stopped. If I didn't stop and get out and wave down the people behind me, the bridge is out. How heartless would I be just to pull over and go down the embankment and say, whatever, let them have it. You know, they'll just have to figure it out themselves. Yet how many of us who know the truth about eternity do the same thing? Now, she thought she was all right. She was messed up religiously, wasn't she? I mean, it didn't get any weirder than worshiping idols and the Lord and taking part of the Bible and, and doing all the atrocious things they did. It was strange. To have a half-truth, you might as well have a whole lie because it doesn't help. And a lot of people are, are hanging on to half a truth, a mixed-up, hybrid gospel. There's no gospel at all. And, but Nicodemus was no better. He was orthodox, crossed every T, dotted every I, and was just as lost as this Samaritan woman. Do you see that we're all in this human race, no matter what your race are, is we're all equally lost. That's the first fact of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Religion is not salvation. Salvation is a person, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the door, He is salvation, He is it all. All in all is Jesus, and Jesus is everything. Being religious is not equivalent to salvation. Jumping through hoops, joining things, doing this and that, all the religious things will not save. We see there in verse 5, then he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to a parcel of ground that... Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, may I tell you that the sixth hour was high noon. You know what high noon felt like at Jacob's well? It felt like high noon on August the 1st in Birmingham, Alabama, downtown where the asphalt is just hot as it could be. People didn't come to the well at high noon because it was too hot, but this poor lady did, probably to avoid the gossiping tongues of the dear other sisters in the area who knew about her background and were wont to point and say, that's the one, five, five husbands. 
and she's living with a man. You can just hear it, can't you? And the man she's living with now, is they're not married. So she came at noon. When the other women were in the cool of the day, go out until early morning or either or late in the evening in the cool of the day to go to the well. But that's when she did business. That's when she went to get, and every woman had to go to the well. The water had had to be brought to the house. Our Lord was weary. Isn't it amazing that the Holy Spirit records that about him because that he was tired. He was both God and man. He knew all things and had all power given to him in heaven and earth. And yet, as a human with a body, he grew tired and needed rest. When you go tired in your duties and your work, remember that our Lord understands that he too got gets tired and got tired, not now, he did in his earthly ministry, and hungry and sleepy. Side by side with his humanity, we are shown his glorious deity. Here we see his omniscience. He knew this woman and her background. He knew everything about her, and he knows all about you as well. We can hide a lot of stuff from a lot of people, but Deep down in our heart, it's open news in heaven what we're like and who we are and where, where we stand. So why don't we honestly come before the one who knows all about us. He knows our down-sitting and our uprising and our thoughts from afar. And say as Hagar did by the, in the desert, Thou, God, seest me. I have that verse calligraphy on my chest of drawers. I see it every day to remind me. He sees me. It's both a comforting thought and it's a thought that ought to give us the holy fear of the Lord. He sees me. You may not, but he does. He knows where I'm going, what I'm determining, what I'm dreaming about, what I would do if I could do. He knows all about the DNA, the inner DNA of Chris Lamb. And that is a very sobering and fearful thought. He's omniscient. He knew this woman A.W. Pink says, At his birth we behold his humiliation lying in a manger, but we discover his divine glory too. For the angels were sent to announce the one born as Christ the Lord. See him asleep in a boat, exhausted from the toil of a heavy day's work. But But mark the sequel as he rises and steals the storm. Behold him by the grave of Lazarus, groaning in his spirit and weeping, And then bow before him in worship as he, by a word from his mouth, brings the dead to life. So it is here. Wearied in his journey, and yet displaying his deity by reading the secrets of this woman's heart. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. We see that this woman is a chosen sinner, but I want you to notice also this morning that she was a a needy woman. Now, granted that us, in our dealings with people, we cannot read the heart. We, as witnesses and soul winners, do not have the capacity to, to read a person's heart, and we don't need to. The Spirit of God searches all people. Our duty is to give them the gospel, and the gospel will do its own soul searching. Did you know that? Search me and try me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. How does he do that? By his word. Most of us don't even realize how desperate we are, how needy we are. This woman had lived a life that seems as if she had no moral scruples. 
but self-righteousness and self-justification lie always beneath all of us. She's quick to go on the religious jag when he begins to talk that way. She displays a quick mind and a quick wit, a quick sharp tongue. Sometimes people use those things as a defense mechanism not to talk to you about the needs of their soul. And that's where most of us stop. They put us in our place. Who do you think you are to tell me that? You know, the, the one, th- one word, they can go for the juggler vein. We go, oh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll leave you alone. This is too uncomfortable. No, that's where we begin, not in a self-righteous way, but to remind them of what the Lord has to say about things. You see, the Word of God is alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce and divide the joints in the marrow of the inner man and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You can't do that, but it can. And don't, don't let the Lord's omniscience here stop you from saying, well, the Word of God says. It was an odd time for someone to draw water, but it was God's time. In verse 7, Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Think of it. The one who created the Nile River and the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee and every other drop of water on earth was asking a poor Samaritan woman to give him a drink of water. He could with one word have spoken and Jacob's well could have burst open like a geyser and flooded him with water. But I want you to know that Jesus never performed a miracle for himself. Never once in the scriptures. He lived a life life to the fullest. He experienced purposefully hunger and thirst and weariness. We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tested like as we are, yet without sin. Let us... Therefore, come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a contrast here. A thirsty Savior and a needy woman. Her need was greater than his, wasn't it? She was absolutely unaware of her deep need and he was very aware of his thirst. Our Lord knows us better than we know ourselves. And notice that this woman, in an effort to deflect her true need, and that's what people do when we try to talk to them about the Lord, it's a thing of deflection. Throw it back on you. Get you off course. Stir up some, you know, political discussion. Or where did Cain get his wife? Or who do you think you are? All those kind of things to deflect us. And she tries to focus on racism. That will shut up most people, won't it? If a white person was witnessing to a black person, the black person may say, who do you think you are? You think you're white? And that's why you're, you're so, or the black person could say, to witness to a white person, why are you even talk to me? Sometimes we go to that race because that's just a convenient thing to get us off the hook and, and to stay in our situations the way we are. She said, I'm a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? You know, everybody knows you think you're better than we are. So why, why are you messing with us? Why are you talking with us? These attitudes go throughout the years and they're very present with us today, aren't they? But our Lord knew that her racism wasn't her problem, but it was something that she was using to, to not get to, to see the root of the problem, that's her sinful heart. How is it you being a Jew, in verse 9, would ask for a drink of water from me, a Samaritan woman, for, and she brings out one of the tenants. We all know that Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. 
and vice versa. Notice our Lord wisely doesn't answer her directly. He could have started an argument right then and there. And that's what most of us do. We fall for Satan's trap every time and get into a racial argument. He instead introduces her, to the, the, goes to the spiritual, the divine, and our, our greatest need of all. He says, well, what you need is, is, is living water. What in the world is living water? How can water be living? And, and how is it that he would offer it to her and why? John Phillips writes, in this statement, Jesus told her all she needed to obtain salvation. What it was, the water of life. Who controlled it? He did. If you ask me, I'll give it to you. And let me just pause and say here, we can, we can pause and end the message right here. I heard someone say the, the, the reason I didn't like their pastor, he just never finished a message. You just say, well, we'll finish this next week and go on. And when you're teaching through the Scripture, there's so much here. It's, that's easy to do, but I, I'm loath to do that. I want to, to, to put everything in a package and, and give it to you. But you know, I, I'm aware that the Holy Spirit can do far more. I don't have to get to the third point to, to do the Lord's will here today, but I want to handle the Scriptures with integrity and and in its context, but the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. They go on to have a discussion about where we worship, who we worship, when we worship, all those things that we could get caught up in and Finally, she goes from, from seeing him just as a, she calls him a Jew to start with, and then she calls him Sir, and she winds up calling him a prophet, and then she says, we found him. He's the Messiah. Could I just tell you this morning that the one you're seeking is this one at the, the well. He is the Messiah. The one that we worship, the one that Christmas surrounds is Jesus Christ. He will not stop all your problems and end all your circumstances, but He will save you from your sin and give you His Holy Spirit to indwell you that will help you cope on a day-to-day basis through this myriad and this maze of life. And it's all, can I tell you this? It's all simply for the asking. If you come to him, whosoever comes to him, he will not cast out. Whether you're a Samaritan or an American or a whoever, whatever. He's the Savior. And he loves you so much that he allowed you in his sovereignty to hear his word just now. This day, today, the message of the gospel. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would Take your word and do your work in every heart. There may be someone here this morning who is, who is lost. And I pray that, that they would examine themselves to see whether they're in the faith. Let me ask you, are you resting in Christ alone for salvation? If not, I beg you to, to lay aside your unbelief and call on Him by faith. Tell Him your need. Just now, where you are, you don't have to pray out loud. You don't have to do anything, but believe on Jesus Christ. Talk to Him this morning. Tell Him where you are, that you need Him as a Savior. And you humbly submit to Him as your Lord and Savior. 
Lord, would you do your work in our midst. And we'll praise you eternally for it. In Jesus' name, amen.